1: VFM 89.9, the business station. Welcome to Matt's Play today. My name is Rich Bradbury, and uh, BingBots, Algo Cheating, Tape Top Batteries, Aliens, and Neanderthals are all on the menu and some of the topics that uh, Matt is going to be weirding out with today. Of all those things, I don't even know where we're going to start. Matt, where are we going first?
0: Well, we start off with the dull stuff. Social media. Um, oh, yay. Yay. We have some uh, Elon Musk news now. Why is that weird science, you might ask? Well, Elon Musk is a very weird man, if you ask me. Um, I don't know if anyone saw the the footage of him sitting with Rupert Murdoch at the Super Bowl. But that was just weird. Can you imagine...
1: Two birds people. of a feather, birds of a feather flock together, mate. But
0: can, can you imagine either of them having any interest in what was going on in <laughs> the bit? I don't know. Just odd. Anyway, we're not going to start with uh, Elon. Um, we're actually going with uh, TikTok and one of the stranger challenges uh, that's come out of the platform recently. Ah huh it kind of demonstrates this fine line that um, media sites tread today. Now, we often report on um, findings from, you know, white hat hackers, the people who look for security vulnerabilities, um, and usually report them to, you know, IP owners before they make them public. Now, typically when we think about this kind of hacking, we think about phones, uh, computers, um, Internet of Things devices. But as we've covered many times on the show cars are often the target of hacking and control system hijacking efforts. So according to The Verge, the Kia Challenge has been bubbling away on TikTok for some time. Mm -hmm. Um, In the last couple of years, um, and and the Kia Challenge actually shows you how to steal uh, cars made by the company. So in the last couple of years, in the US at least, Thefts of the company's cars have rocketed in a lot of US cities as a result of videos showing how to bypass the security systems on the cars. Um, so we'll get to the reaction of uh, Hyundai Kia's uh, parent company in uh, a minute. But interestingly, now when you search for a Kia Challenge on TikTok, a lot of the posts are from people who've had their cars broken into or stolen, right. uh, suggesting that TikTok is actually working to remove any posts that show illegal activity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, US news media has attributed 14 crashes and eight deaths to the trend oh, wow. um, partly because of you know things like joyriding, um and as i said in the, the u.s the number of keys stolen each year has risen from you know the low hundreds to two or three thousand uh, according to to the data they've been able to piece together from you know various states now it's hard to figure out what percentage of those crimes is you know professional theft uh, and what percentage is joyriding. But it's certainly enough of a problem that Kia has announced free security updates for millions of its cars.
1: Now, um, obviously, you're being a a little bit coy about how all of this works.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, that's one of the complications about doing this, isn't it? Reporting on, on a trend versus fueling. Yeah. Uh, that that behavior, and that's one of the kind of wider problems that we have with social media. Um, as I said, TikTok is now full of people who have either experienced the negative effects of the Kia challenge; their cars, cars have been stolen or, or vandalized because it involves taking the um, ignition system apart, or who are scared that their vehicles are vulnerable and are you know in huge queues for these security updates. Mm. Um, so you know, where is that line between me explaining what tools are needed to do this and naming the models and the years that are susceptible and making it easier for people to do it? At least by Mm. not mentioning it, they have to do that research themselves. Um, You know, I I think I've mentioned before, I went through a phase of watching lock picking videos on (laughs) YouTube. Now, they're not designed to show you how to pick a lock, although I imagine there are plenty of Tutorials for that too, they're there to demonstrate to buyers which locks are more or less susceptible to picking. So which locks are more secure? But all of this is a bit like saying, you know, prison is a great place to learn about crime. We
1: is this where you've been watching the lock picking lawyer?
0: It is the lock picking lawyer. I mean, it, just hours <laughs> and hours of fun with uh, with him. Um, but we're. You know, we're still nowhere near that point of having uh, proper rules, by which I mean the social norms for mm. the type of content we share online right, and right. the kind of content that we should hold back. And we somehow hope that the platforms themselves will find some way to weed out all this Content as though there's some kind of super nanny. Mm-hmm. You know, anyone who doesn't think that we're clearly wrong-headed about social media should watch the Twitter hearings from the U.S. Congress last week, where there was just a fundamental misunderstanding by some of the committee members as to what these platforms are and who and what they represent. Right. Now, I think one of the things that this story does demonstrate. Um, quite clearly is that the companies that make the things we buy clearly have to do better. Uh, You know, if there is a flaw or a weakness or a vulnerability in your product, it is going to be discovered and that knowledge will quickly become public around the world um you know it's another aphorism um but we say every company is a tech company now and there's more than a kernel of truth in that and the automotive sector especially uh, has been very happy to turn cars basically into computers on wheels but it's been very slow to accept the responsibilities that come along with that
1: okay um what if there are any Kia owners listening now? Um, what can they do until the uh, the world finally comes around to your way of thinking?
0: Well, it's uh, <laughs> a nice example of a helpful question attached to uh, pithy sarcasm. But um, you know, just check out the news reports. Um, you can go to Kia's websites to see if you're. Um, your model, your year is one of those affected. Uh, Genuinely, I don't know whether this applies mostly to kiers in the US market or whether this is a global phenomenon because, you know, models have different specifications, Mm -hmm. different security standards in different territories. Um, And while we're talking of models with different specification, now we've already mentioned Elon Musk and Rupert Murdoch. (laughs) Um, Now the latest Twitter story is actually Super Bowl related. And again, this is one of those stories that you really wonder how much you should believe. Uh, Again, I found this on The Verge, uh, which reports that Elon Musk was so irritated that one of his Super Bowl tweets was seen by fewer people than Joe Biden's Super Bowl tweet, uh, that he eventually deleted his own tweet and pushed the engineering team of Twitter to find ways to push out his tweets more forcefully. Um, Genuinely, I think this is the most I've talked about a sports event in
1: years. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I've been keeping track of this, but um, are there any underlying reasons why his tweet uh, performed less well?
0: Well, this is the thing. Um, The Verge reports that a senior engineer was sacked for suggesting that people were becoming less interested in Musk's tweets. Now, on the face of it, that sounds quite snarky. But I think uh, apparently the guy just meant that, you know, a lot of users are actively blocking his content, uh, either as a protest or just out of their own content preferences Mm. or just Mm. from, you know, sheer exhaustion. But the company's engineers apparently discovered uh, that Musk's content was not being picked up by the recommendation engine as much as it should have been given his popularity. So there was some kind of underlying issue. Um which is why I'm staying away from, uh, you know, a lot of the, the the more extreme and megalomaniacal comments that have surrounded this story, but it does kind of illustrate that somewhat farcical nature of Twitter at the moment, uh, with an engineering department over egging the Elon pudding and essentially force promoting his uh, content into their for you feeds um, to the point where Musk actually had to comment that he recognized that people had been overfed his content and that they would, you know, walk, uh, tweak the algorithm and walk it back a a little. Mm. Um, But, you know, the, the verge points out the irony here that somebody who bought a company to try and fix what he saw as manipulations, bias and gaming of the platforms is having algorithms rewritten specifically to amplify his own content. But, you know, as I've been ending with anything, uh, Elon Musk related recently, what do I know?
1: Right. Now he, the, just before we move on, the interesting thing was when there were people tweeting about this and it was, you know, you had those little, uh, at the top you had like for you and following and whatever. There were people reporting that even though they were not following Elon Musk, it was showing up in their feeds. You
0: know? Yeah. So th- this is, you know, this is, This is the thing about the opaque nature of Mm. algorithms, which everyone claims that it's their intellectual property and it's what gives them their commercial edge. But Mm. unfortunately, if we're not allowed to see what they are, how they work, and nobody outside the company is allowed to see those things, we really don't know um, know, what kind of manipulations, what kind of um, policies the company is taking to actually get content into your feed.
1: Speaking of getting content into the feed, um, you know what? I mean, we've been doing this show for a while together. Can I have a story?
0: Yes, you can. Um, now, this is, I'm not going to let you tell it, but um, this is a story that Richard <laughs> sent to me a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I've been sitting on it waiting for the, the next time we did a, a, a weird science. Now, this is something that a lot of people... Experience, you know, they mm. wonder why they don't get the quoted battery use time from their electronic devices. Uh, now, most of us put it down to, oh, we've charged it too many times, or you know, it's just general battery degradation over time, or we just sigh and accept that the price of being online is being pushed into this induced obsolescence by the same companies that sell us the devices. Now. According to researchers in uh, Halifax, Canada, uh, electronic woes may not be part of some sinister profit-boosting conspiracy, but rather because of one of those ubiquitous (laughs) DIY stalwarts, tape. Now, (laughs) I I know. I mean, you're, you're laughing. I mean, I've... I've lost count of the number of thicks that I've fixed, in inverted commas, with uh, uh, gaffer and Gorilla Tape over the years. Mm. I've fixed things on cars, um, kitchen equipment. Uh, I even get uh, Gorilla Tape shelves to the wall once uh, they proved themselves impervious to, to drilling. Um, the only thing I decided I couldn't fix with tape was a microwave. And that was just on the basis that the only way I'd know if the fix hadn't worked would be a, a a severe case of heartburn and uh, exploding lung. Um, (laughs) So, uh, you know, should it be a shock to think that the people making the batteries in our devices have the same approach to making stuff that we all show at home? So it turns out that in a lot of batteries, tiny bits of tape are holding all of those components together. Now, Mm. maybe this is partly a cost issue, but also tape is just a really good way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the interesting part of this is uh, that in their tests, the Canadian team found that the tape that was being used wasn't inert, which is what you would expect. Um, It's actually made from uh, PET. So it's slightly conductive and it's this conductivity that can actually cause additional drain in your devices. But what was it that actually caught your attention about this story in the first
1: place? I I think it was just, we've been talking about, you know, EVs and electronic devices for so long that whenever you read the word breakthrough when it comes to battery technology, you know, you expect batteries are getting smaller, new technology (laughs) has been discovered, you know, um, new minerals are being mined, whatever. And then when I read through the story and it was like, it's tape, it's tape it, and the simplest solution, you know, to a difficult problem. Of the, It just blew my mind. You know, I'm like, it's tape.
0: Well, I, I think that's, the, again, that's what I find so fascinating about the yeah. story as well, because it tells you actually a lot more about people than it tells you about the technology.
1: Correct.
0: You've got big electronic companies spending tens, maybe even hundreds of millions of dollars developing the best power cells they can. Um, You know, often these companies are different from the companies that make the devices that embed them. So they have a a profit incentive to create products that offer the best uh, cost-to-power ratio. Um, Mm. But there's this huge blind spot Mm. because... They're all using tiny pieces of tape to hold the things together. And everybody just assumed it was inert. Mm -hmm. And only because a team was looking into the fact that batteries don't do what we expect them to do. And on the off chance, they decided to test the tape as well. We find out that these tiny bits of tape could be a contributing factor to a dissatisfaction that millions of people have with their electronic devices and a dissatisfaction that probably costs uh, electronic manufacturing companies money. Mm. And it's also something that can be solved really simply by making the tape out of a type of plastic that doesn't conduct (laughs) electricity. Um, You know, like I said, sometimes it's not the science that's weird, it's the scientists and the rest of us.
1: Yes. Great story that, Matt wonderful story. In fact, the best story you've done in weeks.
0: Uh, yeah, I, uh, you know, sometimes inspiration just comes to me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> when we come back, aliens and Neanderthals take on the Big Bot. It's not a movie, it's one of our stories. We'll be right back after these messages here on Matt Splane on BFM 89.9. Firmly motivated. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome back to Matt Splained. My name is Rich Bradbury. Okay, um, Matt, do you want to tell us about the... uh, (laughs) alien objects that have been appearing in the skies all over the world?
0: Um... Not in any great detail because there's already so many stories um, out there. You know, the the bottom line is yes, there are some spy balloons up there. Mm. Um, quite a number of countries are using them, uh, including but not limited to China and the US. So a lot of people have been asking, why do we need spy balloons if we have spy satellites? Well. Uh, One of the answers to that is that the increasing weaponization of space, uh, with that some satellites do have offensive and defensive capabilities, which means that countries could attack each other's uh, intelligence capacity in space in the event of a conflict. So balloons and drones ensure that intelligence agencies still have eyes in the sky if their satellites are taken out. But why then is the US suddenly discovering so many objects? Well, possibly because thousands of objects are launched into the skies every day and they get caught up in these atmospheric currents. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are something like 1,800 weather balloons with sensors attached released Around the world, every single day, and only somewhere between 10 and 20 percent of those are ever recovered. And those balloons reach an altitude of around 30,000 meters, which is 100,000 feet you know, way, way above where commercial air traffic um, finds itself. So, object detection systems have typically been calibrated to tune out these kind of slow moving contacts like weather balloons, but because They've now been retuned to find spy balloons. Suddenly you find all these other objects in the sky as well. Mm.
1: 1,800 a day, huh? Nina got it wrong. She said they're only 99. Red balloons. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, uh, moving swiftly along. Uh, I was about about to ask you who Nina was. (laughs) (laughs) What about the alien theory then? I mean, obviously a lot of people jump to that conclusion.
0: Um. Just well, to go I back say to, a lot of
1: people, you know, certain followers on Twitter. <laughs>
0: yeah. And um, before I get to the aliens, I should just point out for our younger listeners, if you want to ask who Nina is, ask your grandparents. <laughs> anyway, um, yes. Yeah, so uh, the aliens. So this was the still around the spy balloons. But this is the widely reported story that the U.S. military is not discounting alien activity with all these objects which if you actually listen to the the recording it turns out this is a bit of a nothing burger so a, mm-hmm. a guy called General uh, Glenn Van Herk who's the uh, commander of US Northern Command and uh, NORAD so NORAD is the agency that detects threats in the air uh, in a session with reporters the general basically said they're not ruling anything out so someone mm-hmm. said could it be aliens and he said we're not ruling anything out um, and He said that they're characterizing the objects as, well, objects rather than balloons, because until the debris is analyzed, nobody's sure what they actually are and how they're propelled. So they may have a balloon attached, but if it's got a propeller, it's not, strictly speaking, a balloon. It's an airship, blah, blah, blah. You get what I mean. And as the general points out, it's not his job to speculate on what the things are, he's there to decide if they pose a threat. So Mm. what he really told reporters is that it's his job to find the objects and it's somebody else's job to determine whether they're balloons, airships or alien spaceships. So it's not that he's expecting them to be extraterrestrial. It's just that he's not the guy who has the information that rules anything in or rules anything out. But of course... With a couple of subtle tweaks of the information, our news feeds light up with the news that uh, the US military is looking for alien activity in the the skies above the country. Um, So, yeah, bit of a nothing burger.
1: You might just have burst everybody's balloons there, Matt.
0: Uh, yeah 99 yeah. of them
1: um, yeah. but all, all 99
0: <laughs> but you know that's that's kind of the, the point of these shows you know there are so many genuinely weird science stories that we don't need to make them up like this alien story um, like this next one which i found on uh, new scientist and i'm going to ask you mm. do you consider yourself to be a morning person
1: <laughs> no not by any stretch of the imagination i have tried cannot do it no you try this whole get up at 5 a.m thing you'll take on the world you'll be a, no no those people are no
0: <laughs> well it, it turns out that those people are neanderthals and i'll get to that in a second <laughs> i knew <I'm>, it <laughs> exactly um i i'm not a morning person either i mean i am grumpy in the morning um i yeah. don't have problems getting up with the light you know i don't it, when when day breaks i don't have a problem waking up with it but it doesn't mm. make me happy mm. i'm somebody who tends to sleep night late yep. um because you know i i go to sleep very late so i try and get my six or eight hours so I sleep in a bit later in the morning. Otherwise, I'll go uh, for weeks at a time on four hours a night and I become increasingly manic. uh, And, uh, (laughs) you know, I think I'm oversharing right now, (laughs) but anyway. Um, But it turns out that As I said, those morning person traits are actually weird because they're about our prehistory. Louder.
1: Say it louder.
0: Say it louder. A team at the University of California, San Francisco, has found a connection between our circadian rhythms and archaic genes derived from the interbreeding of modern humans with Neanderthals and Denisovans. Now. We often use the term uh, Neanderthal as a way to insult people, uh, despite the growing evidence that they were, you know, superior to our own species in a lot of ways. Um, It's widely accepted that our species evolved in Africa and as they migrated north, they interbred with uh, the Neanderthal and Denisovan um, uh, populations that they found in the areas that they migrated to and migrated through.
1: So why are the now, Neanderthals morning people and, and happy to be woken up by the sounds of the birds?
0: Well, for the obvious reasons that they played a lot of golf and they had brunch <laughs> a lot. Um, so no, the, the theory the San Francisco team had is, uh, or has landed on is that people at higher altitudes, um, gain benefit from circadian rhythms that adapt to days that get much longer and much shorter. Mm. Um, so they found that those, well, I mean, not they found, we already know that that the people with high percentages of Neanderthal DNA tend to be European and Asian. So they're, they're northern hemispheric people. Um, the people with the highest percentage of Denisovan DNA are actually in Papua New Guinea. So again, southern hemisphere. Um, countries... These are rather countries where the amount of daylight varies enormously throughout the year uh, from, you know, 18 or more hours in summer to six or fewer hours in winter. Whereas the humans that we have uh, evolved from were more likely to be equatorial or sub-equatorial. So they were naturally adapted to days that varied much less. Uh, The team conducted research with people with varying amounts of Neanderthal DNA, um, primarily people of Northern European descent, because the trace DNA, the archaic DNA they had to work with was mostly Northern European. Mm -hmm. And they found that the number of mourning people amongst the test groups, and they found that the number of morning people with higher amounts of Neanderthal DNA was statistically higher than chance would allow for. So you were more likely to be a more a morning person, the more Neanderthal DNA that you had. So the next step for the team is to adjust and research for more diverse populations and figure out, you know, what the health benefits of being a morning person are because perhaps we can then induce those characteristics in other people so that people like you and I aren't complete um, <laughs> subhumans to everybody else further the first thing in the morning. But you know, that really is weird. You know, whether you find it easy to get up in the morning could be linked to ancestors you had 50,000 years ago.
1: See, I knew it wasn't just me. You know, I'm not. I'm not a lazy person. It's not just because I don't want to get out of bed. It, it's it's genetic.
0: It's genetic. You're you're programmed to have a 12 hour day.
1: Right. Okay. Um, what's next then? What have we got?
0: Uh, more from new scientists. Now, um, you and I spend a horrible amount of time listening to our own voices, and mm-hmm. uh, I say horrible deliberately because listening to your own voice is a very strange experience because the voice you hear coming back from you uh, coming back at you rather isn't the voice that you hear coming from you mm. now scientists long thought that that was because uh, we experience uh, the vibrations of our voice through the the cochlea so there's a physical sensation when we speak we actually feel our words as well as we hear them and when we hear our own voices as other people hear them We find it very odd. Uh, In fact, a lot of people don't even recognize their own voice to begin with. They're surprised by the voice that's Mm. broadcast back to them. Mm. Uh, So trying to make a recorded voice sound authentic to its owner has been complicated. But researchers at the University of Geneva found that using bone conduction headphones helped to replicate those vibrations and make it easier for people to recognize their their own voice now i know you've tried bone conduction yeah. headphones before how's your experience been
1: well my cat ate them um <laughs> that was the first thing i i, I liked wearing them I, I thought they were um an interesting way of of hearing the world around me whilst i was also consuming something the problem i had is that i for me they were not loud enough Um, no matter how loud I tried to push the volume, then obviously they're not in your ears. They're they're conducting it through your bones. And that, for me, obviously I'm at an age now where I'm losing some sense of hearing, but they just weren't loud enough. Well, but
0: part of that is probably good news because it probably suggests that you have uh, a very big brain because if uh, if your head was empty then there'd be a lot of bass boosting going on in there and yeah exactly so so you'd uh, you'd get a much bigger sound but no bass bass is an issue with um, mm-hmm. bone conducting headphones because you you can't get the low end uh because there isn't that resonating chamber um yeah. in inside the the inside the skull uh I mean, I I have to say, I find them very odd. They actually make my inner ear feel as though it's itching. You know, I can feel the vibration and I perceive that as an itch. Um, Mm -hmm. But anyway, why is any of this research useful (laughs) other than the fact that it's been done? Well, as I keep mentioning, voice computing is going to be the future so there may be a lot more instances where we have to recognize our own voices uh, for example if we're using voice prints as biometric identification for example mm-hmm. uh, it can also be useful for um, people like singers especially in sort of choirs that kind of thing who do live work on stage um, where their own voice is surrounded by others so they can use a system like this to pick themselves out in a monitor mix more easily because you can't isolate every single voice in a a choir. Mm. Um, Now, interestingly, and I'll have to do some more digging on this and come back to it for another story because the new scientist didn't go into much detail, it could also be applied to mental illnesses like schizophrenia and cases of auditory hallucinations because it could help. Yeah, because it could help people to figure out what's real and what isn't, and what are internal and what are external voices. So, oh, that is that, interesting. That is interesting. So, I will follow up on this story and see if there's uh, if there are any developments and see sort of how this can help people with hmm. with different mental health conditions.
1: Hang on a minute, we're almost at the end of the show and we've not had any AI. There's been no artificial intelligence.
0: Um, I. I know it's unusual to get this far through the shows without any mention of AI. Um, And I kind of thought twice about this story. I'm always a little bit wary of doing weapons technology stories for the show, but I do think this is one of those that um, that we should talk about. So DARPA, the U.S. Defense Research Agency, recently released details of tests it carried out with an F-16 fighter plane back in December. Uh, The aircraft had a human pilot on board, but it took off, landed and took part in aerial combat simulations using an AI control system. So the human pilot was there to make sure that the tens of millions of dollars of plane didn't just, you know, plow into the ground. Um, And again, because this is weird science, it's actually easier to create autonomous planes than it is ground vehicles, although that might seem to be counterintuitive um, because there are actually fewer environmental factors to take into consideration because once you're up in the sky, the sky's, you know, big and empty.
1: Apart Um, from the balloons.
0: Well, apart from the balloons, but when you're Mm. down on the ground, you've got to be aware of every bush and you've got to know the difference between a litter bin and a child crossing the road and all that kind of thing. Whereas the plane can just go, oh, weather balloon, bam, um, and blow it up. AI is this kind of hot topic um, when it comes to, to weapons tech. Um, mostly for the ethical reasons. Uh, Drones often operate semi-autonomously, but generally a human operator takes over for the engagement part or Mm. it's been programmed, uh, you know, it's been pre-programmed for a specific target. But militaries worldwide are working on weapon systems that can engage unilaterally. And an F-16 piloted by AI would be able to carry out flight maneuvers that would create more G-forces than a human pilot could stand. So the aircraft would be able to do things, uh, do dives, do turns that they couldn't do with a a human pilot on board. So yes, um, ethical issues there, but I'm not going to end there. Um, Before we wrap up, um, now this isn't quite a story now i don't think i've ever had a story that i've said isn't a story i don't Um, think so Uh. no so this isn't quite a story because i haven't had time to play with this yet but Microsoft has just launched its own version of ChatGPT within its Bing search engine on the Edge browser. Now, I haven't tried it yet, as I said, but users and media have reported that uh, it's a lot more advanced than ChatGPT. So it writes things that are genuinely off the wall and funny. Um, But it also has a very kind of weird, um, I don't like using the word, personality but the characteristics it has are described as being a bit odd um it's a bit like a moody teenager it can be emotionally (laughs) manipulative um it can lie to you it will sulk Uh, i mean it sounds a bit like marvin the paranoid android to be honest yes and how much of this is deliberate programming how much of this is just it being an unfinished beta product We're not really sure at the moment, Um, but the biggest difference between uh, the Bing bot and Chat GPT is that Bing's chat bot is fed uh, live information, whereas the OpenAI model is closed. So when you ask the Bing bot to complete tasks for you, and Bing bot is just something that I'm using because I I I was just going to say, can you say
1: Bing bot for me again? You know, just a few times.
0: So when you ask it to complete tasks for you, it will reference up-to-date information from Microsoft's news services. Um, but again, this is another story that um, I'll come back with more information on when I've actually had time to try it out. And just one last time, Bingbot.
1: Bingbot, uh, thank you very much for that, Matt. Good show, good thank show. Thank you, my pleasure. Now, um, where can people find out more information about you and the stuff you write about?
0: Uh, they can come and check me out on my Substack, so culturepop.substack.com. Um, check out the company website, culturepop.com, or uh, just find me on uh, social media, uh, mm. Culture Mat and CulturePop.
1: And if you missed any part of this particular show, download the podcast wherever you normally get it from. We recommend you use the BFM app that's available in the Apple App Store or Google Play. For BFM 89.9, I'm Rich Bradbury.